Ready to roll, gents? Yeah, ready to roll. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is George Breer. I'm head of events content here at Sports Pro. And as always, I'm joined opposite me by Tom Bassam, OPE. Note that is not a recent announcement from the King's Honours list. It is in fact Tom Bassam, off-platform editor. Tom, it's good to, <laughs> it's good to be joined by you. OPE, that's a new one. Um, but yeah, I'll take it. Uh, it's, better, it's nicer than some things that I've been called in the last week. Now, alongside Tom and I today is Sam Karp, Sports Pro's Features Editor. Sam, how are you? Good, thanks, George. Uh, thanks for having me along. I hear uh, it was originally meant to be Steve McCaskill, but he got injured in the warm-up, so I've been drafted <laughs> in. But yeah, happy to be here nonetheless. You cannot trust a Steve McCaskill hamstring these days before a podcast recording for love or money. Well, there's only one place to start this morning, and that is the new Premier League TV rights deal that was announced on Monday, worth £6.7 billion from 2025 to 2029. Now, Tom, um, you're always my go-to man to delve beneath the top line numbers. So tell me some of the key information that were was announced as part of that deal. So I, for me, I guess the most uh, standout thing was that we're back down to two broadcasters again in the UK for the Premier League. So having had Amazon dip their toes in the market, take a little package of games for the last six years because they got that rollover during the pandemic, they're out and the total number of broadcast games is up. I think the total figure now is... Uh, at the max in a season is is like 280 like it fluctuates a little bit depending basically on like how far teams get in europe but it's either 270 or tot don't quote me on those they're all available on the sports pro website where there's a computer memory to serve for mine that's kind of it lots more games an increase in the total revenue for the league but i guess as well a decrease in the cost per game the value per game quite a lot of leagues are now valuing their rights because the premier league previously was quite keen to of keep the amount of games it broadcasted down in the UK and now this kind of is a bit of a a bit of an about face in that regard. Yeah so Tom's I think highlighted some of the, the key bits there 100 more games from 2025 onwards per season and in particular a pretty huge increase for Sky only so TNT Sports formerly BT Sport retains its 52 matches but Sky are now up to 215 games up from 128. Where do you think that put sky in terms of the you know the uk broadcast landscape in particular it's a pretty pretty bold move i think it just leaves it where it was already basically we know how important the premier league is to sky's business which is essentially why it's willing to pay such huge sums every time these rights come up for grabs to sort of protect that status if it was to lose the premier league or at least to lose its position as kind of the you know the number one broadcaster of the premier league in the uk then it would be like really really damaging because to subscribe a lot of its subscribers you imagine who subscribe to its platforms to watch the Premier League would then go elsewhere um, so I think yeah it kind of just reasserts its its status in that sense um, I think to be honest what was uh, it was kind of a bit of an underwhelming outcome in the end given all the chat over the last year or so you know you had Apple linked um, a lot of people were maybe expecting zone to finally make an entry Tom mentioned Amazon's now dropped out yeah, it kind of didn't feel that unexpected in the end. I guess the only surprise really was that Amazon didn't renew its deal or a lot of the chat, a lot of the reporting is that Amazon didn't even make a bid, which, you know, a lot of people have sort of speculated about on the back of in terms of its 
general interest in sports rights and it's sort of strategy in sports rights. But yeah, in terms of Sky, I think it just kind of yeah, reasserts its position in this market as the dominant force in sports broadcasting. Yeah, Tom, it'd be good to 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 contrast, I think, this deal against the European landscape, but then also against the US landscape. I know you spoke with Ben Morrell last week around the French broadcast rights and the challenges that they're facing. We've also done a podcast on that as well. But do you think it's a win for the Premier League to increase its overall value, even if it's margin? I think it's a 4% increase compared to the previous right cycle. So given the challenges faced by other major European football leagues, such as Serie A or Liga, where there's been you know limited interest or none at all in some cases, or bids, I should say, rather than interest, is this a big win for the Premier League to at the very least retain its value? Yeah, I think so. It says that the Premier League remains the number one broadcast property in the European market, in the football market too, aside from maybe the Champions League, which it continues to perform pretty strongly. I also actually think it's a win for fans. And it's not something we talk about loads on this podcast, but it makes that proposition simpler. Like they're not going to three different places to watch games. They, They probably already have a Sky subscription if they're a Premier League fan. And now they're going to get more of those games, which is something that I think has been increasingly a catch point a sticking point something they found irritating especially clubs who are in Europe and then find themselves playing at two o'clock on a Sunday knowing that like they're not in the blackout window but their games aren't on TV so they're missing the opportunity to watch games even when they're maybe not at an ideal time for them to go I think this is a pretty good deal for them costs will probably dictate that there'll be an increase in how much Sky will be asking people to pay especially as Sky are doubling down on other properties as well and investing more in their sports rights more generally it seems like at the moment but yeah, so in terms of in terms of the winners here, Sky's one, and I think Premier League fans are as well. Especially, well, the UK Premier League fans are as well. I think it's like probably important to clarify that maybe armchair fans have won. People who primarily watch the Premier League on TV. I think I don't know how good this is for match-going fans, purely because by the sounds of it, there's going to be still the twelve thirty kickoff time on a Saturday, the five thirty kickoff time on a Saturday, which. Fans are already familiar with the Monday night kickoff time too. But from the sounds of it, there's also going to be some new kickoff times introduced, I think. And what it kind of does is it just sort of massively reduces the number of games that are going to be played in that traditional 3pm slot, which is kind of something that a lot of people have historically built their weekends around. Um, I think I did a bit of back of a napkin math, but I think given that there's 267 games in total being broadcast a season, that only leaves 113 to be broadcast in that traditional 3pm window, which works out to about three per game week, which obviously isn't a lot at all. So I think, yeah, definitely, as Tom said, I think it is a win for those people who primarily watch it on television. It's become almost like a ritual on a Sunday when there's four games kicking off at 2pm for people to complain about the fact that even last Sunday it was Palace West Ham in that 2pm slot on Sky while... Liverpool and Fulham had seven goals in their game, Brighton and Chelsea five games in theirs. So it's kind of a win from that perspective, but it is definitely sort of a bit of a blow to those more traditionalists, I think, who who really enjoy that 3pm slot. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Sam. One of the things I found notable about the announcement was actually the lack of disruption to kickoff times, given it seems to me my back of a napkin math is probably a lot worse than yours, given my GCC results. But it seems to me that quite a lot of those games are going to come from the 2pm kickoff slot, particularly given that the Premier League is going to have an additional European slot next season, given the changes to the UEFA coefficient, I think. It looks like it's going to be five teams that go into the Champions League. 
that actually we're already in a position where that 3 p.m. kickoff window is being impinged on purely by accident rather than design from a broadcast point of view anyway. So in fact, what seems to be happening is that the 2 p.m. window on a Sunday is almost becoming that 3 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday and therefore broadcasters are able to, you know, offer a better proposition within an existing flawed infrastructure given the the Sunday kickoffs. So do you not think that A, that that 3 p.m. blackout window is becoming more and more redundant just from uh, from the way the game is going operationally? I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe that is the workaround. Maybe that is what the Premier League sort of like, you know, we can't get rid of the 3 p.m. blackout, win- uh, blackout, but what we can do is we can have a lot less games being played during that time. I don't know necessarily if that is the case, you know, to increase the overall value of the rights, they had to offer more games to the market anyway, which naturally meant that they would have had to have more games in different kickoff times. And they have a lot in that 2 p.m. slot anyway, as you mentioned, because of Europe. So, I mean, maybe we will see that 2 p.m. slot become a little bit more maybe fans will start to build their weekends around that a little bit more but I do think just that 3pm has been there for so long people are sort of accustomed to it there's like behavioural things around it I guess for match going fans so I do still think from that perspective it's a bit of a shame for those who just do attend games a lot especially away fans as well I think it's a lot more appealing to go to a game at 3pm on a Saturday up north from London than it is to go to a 2pm game that finishes at half four and then you're having to trace back on a Sunday night before a Monday at work yeah, I think that I think that the the Premier League is going to have to be quite conscious and careful when it comes to the scheduling of those kind of games. Like one of the one of the I think one of the bigger kind of uh, scandals in in English football is the FA Cup final and the FA Cup semi final scheduling for teams if they qualify based in the north of England traveling down for a, a Sunday afternoon kickoff and then there is literally not a train that they can get back home. It's been an, like an ongoing issue that that they might they'd have to leave. If there was extra time, they would have to miss extra time if they wanted to make that train back up to Manchester. And I mean, that's partly a result of Manchester City having qualified for most of the uh, finals and semi-finals for the last decade. But it is something that, that needs to be considered. And there's a reason why the Saturday 3pm kickoff time was invented. And that's because, uh, like Sam says, that is traditionally been the most convenient in terms of travel. And it leaves you with a little bit more option. So in terms of that, yeah, having... I think I think the the figure is two point nine ish games uh, on average uh, per week in that in that slot now based based on that idea of the other all yeah two seventy being broadcast and one hundred and ten being left over. Is there any flexibility there from the Premier League's point of view? You know, to continue playing devil's advocate, are they simply making the best of a bad situation here from the three pm kickoff point of view? Because those two pm windows, for instance, the Sunday that's just been, I think there were four games or five games on the Sunday. That's because. The Premier League has seven teams in Europe. Therefore, uh, in a lot of cases, you know, you're not able to have two home London games at the same time. So a lot has to move into that 2pm Sunday window. So I understand the need to protect the 3pm kickoff, but in some cases, it's just not able to be protected because of the European fixtures taking place. You know, if they're going to be at that 2pm window on a Sunday, and that's going to be unavoidable, why not broadcast them? Why not essentially be a win for everyone? And if you can't travel, at least you can watch your game, not your team on TV. Yeah, and I think that's the position they've come to. And yeah, you've got to think about it, it is a minority of fans. It's like, it's probably, it's less than 5,000, depending on the size of the stadium that you're visiting. So compared to potentially hundreds of thousands on TV. So yeah, I think there's a reason why they've done it. It makes a lot of sense. 
I think it will probably be a positive overall for fans, but it, there are implications and there are things that do need to be considered. For Sky, I don't think there could be any kind of doubt that this is a win. They're getting their position back as the undisputed number one like sports broadcaster in the UK. I don't think that was ever really challenged anyway, but they've increased the amount of games and they're paying less for those games per game. So they're overall, they're, I think they think, think it's 6% more that they've increased their rights fee, but their cost per game hasn't been this low since 2013. So up to 2013, they were paying like 3.8 million. And the next rights cycle saw that tick up to 6.1. And it was nearly 10, came back down to 7.1. And now it's back down to around six. Why is that? Because there's no doubt that the Premier League is gaining popularity, that it's gaining traction, at the very least, consolidating. So why are the rights per game going down? I think there's going to be a lot of focus on... Like people have been more interested than usual, I think, in the per game value than the overall value, which isn't usually the way it works with these things. But I think because of the way a couple of other media rights sales have happened recently in other sports, so you think about the NFL selling for in the US, selling their rights for over $100 billion, the per game value increasing, the IPO as well in, in India, $6.2 billion, but the per game value of those games going up massively as well. I think that puts them second behind the NFL, yeah. So there was always going to be a little bit more interest in what the Premier League was getting per game. But I think what the NFL, the IPL and the Premier League will have is a market-leading sports products in pretty significant me- domestic media market. But what the IPL and the NFL had that the Premier League doesn't is that they had the competition. Um, they had the competition from the broadcasters for those rights as well. So if you think about the, about the IPL, there was Viacom 18 kind of really going for it which drove a lot of the value. The NFL, you had all of the major players going for their rights again. And the Premier League, it might have the product, but it can't just create that competition. It might be able to try. It might be able to put out stories saying that Apple are interested in our rights, that the zone are really pushing through, that Amazon are back in. But in reality, like behind closed doors, that might not be happening. So I think what the Premier League did was actually pretty smart in rejigging its offering. Also looking across the European football media rights landscape as well and realising that Serie A had seen a dip Liga is struggling to get any deal whatsoever over the line. Looking at that kind of landscape, even though it is the leading property in that regard and thinking, right, okay, we do need to just rejig these packages. We need to make them more appealing. We need to offer more games. And even if the per game value is going to go down, if the overall value goes up over a four-year period, that's going to give us sort of some longer-term financial security going into 2030, essentially. And it has succeeded in doing that. So yes, the per game value has gone down. But I think if they hadn't made those changes, then the overall value was only going to go down a lot more. So it was kind of like a necessary move that they had to make and one that ultimately I think has actually proved fairly successful. Yeah, it will also, I mean, it will do what this ultimately does is it puts more money in the pockets of the clubs. And what that will do is, in theory, increase the amount of talent that's playing in the Premier League because the talent follows where the money is. And a period where several of the leagues at the bottom end of that top five are competing with a oil state which has unrivaled deep pockets, more money in the pockets of the Premier League, they'll view that as a win. They'll, they'll see that as, as a, a providing security, a talent security, will ultimately drive, uh, retain interest in the league, if not increase it. And also, if you can stay strong while your competition's getting a little bit weaker, I mean, that's a pretty good position to be in if you're the Premier League. I think its position is kind of the most popular domestic football league globally isn't in question and if it can still capitalise on that from a financial perspective as it has done with this deal then I think yeah then fair enough 
again, so yeah, I will let you speak in a minute, George. It's fine. I'm loving this ping pong. <laughs> I, think that, I think the expectation is also that the overseas rights will go up too because what this deal does is bumps the domestic rights back ahead of the overseas rights. But the, I think the expectation is that though the overseas rights will, again, be more, ultimately be worth more than the domestic rights when they've concluded all their sort of next batch of sales, which, I mean, the, the, the rich will be getting richer in that case. But it, 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 like, it kind of accentuates that point previously about keeping the money a league, able to retain the talent, and it reinforcing the Premier League's like quite now heavily entrenched position as the uh, as the number one domestic football property. I should have jumped in when I had the chance. That was exactly uh, what I was going to raise. I, I know I have a heart in my chest and I'm a normal person, so I love reading Steve McCaskill's market spotlights on Sportsweb Plus, and he often talks about the Premier League being a, a standalone property in the sense that its international rights were up until Monday worth more than its domestic rights. And having read a little bit around the deal, that seems to be the whispers coming out is that they're very confident that the majority of their growth is going to come from those international rights. Sam, on that note, we you compared the Premier League to the NFL or the IPL. That is definitely one area that they contrast as well. The IPL, the Indian Premier League in cricket, almost every cent of its media rights still comes from a very powerful domestic market. Similarly, the US has a very, very strong domestic market that continues to grow, similarly in India, whereas the Premier League, I'm just by a case of you know, numbers anyway, in terms of audience, is always going to be looking internationally for the majority of its rights growth. That's an important area to look at. The other major point of comparison is the streaming equation. So streaming drove the majority of the growth rights in both the NFL and the IPL, particularly the IPL, nearly 50-50 split there in the, in the rights fees between the two. However, for the Premier League, no streaming partners whatsoever. We've seen both the NFL looking at Thursday night football and Sunday night ticket as being a primarily streaming driven proposition. Similarly, in the IPL, huge growth through Viacom 18 of its streaming proposition. Why has the Premier League issued any streaming partner? Interest or design? I think partly market dynamics. Um, so, you, you, like, to say there's no streaming, I mean, it's, it's no streaming, but the fact is that pretty much all of the major broadcasters, and this is the case not just in the UK but in the US as well, they are also now streaming services. Like Discovery Plus will house all of TNT Sports' Premier League broadcast at a top-up fee. So you can get that direct-to-consumer, not having a like a traditional pay TV satellite box through Discovery Plus. Similarly, Sky Glass, that's a streaming product. It's just positioned as a pay TV product. There's such a merging of those two things now because we're in an advanced market. We don't, it's not like India where... Mobile streaming is a massive thing. The primary access to exactly like in the UK, there's kind of no need for that because of the fact that the economy is different. Like pay TV is a much stronger thing for people to sit down and watch in their homes. They don't need to pay for a different service to watch on their mobile because their provider will give it to them on their mobile as part of their deal. Because their providers in the UK looked across and went, okay, yeah, we need to have streaming products. Here's our streaming products now. Uh, we can kind of argue about the quality of Sky Go, but Sky Glass has been a pretty decent introduction into that market. I guess the kind of thing is that you end up paying for those things with, you end up paying for services that you don't want, you end up with that bundle. But Sky's done a pretty good job of almost like tricking consumers into thinking that it's not a bundle when it is. 
there's enough options there that you can pick and choose what you want to pay for without being like, oh, right, yeah, I've got this subscription to this thing that I don't want. You don't have to have that necessarily if you don't want to. There's enough options from Sky that they've been able to kind of keep the wolves from the door in that regard. I think like the more pertinent question almost is like, not why doesn't the Premier League have a streaming partner, but why didn't any of the streamers that were linked with the rights end up getting them? Because obviously Amazon, as we've already alluded to, has been broadcasting the Premier League for the last two cycles. This was kind of tipped, not designed like last chance to really muscle in on a UK broadcast market, but it felt like the point where they kind of had to make a really aggressive play for it. And in the end, they haven't ended up getting anything. So I think the reason why Amazon and Zone aren't involved is perhaps a little bit more interesting. We actually heard from Shai Segev in Madrid last week, the um, Zone CEO, literally saying, you know, we need to be going for Premier League rights and we want to be going for the Premier League rights, but no bid this time around. We don't know if that wasn't a bid. The line that came out of the session that he did with um, Mike Long, our editorial director, was that the Zone really wants the Premier League rights, but won't bid any price to get them. So I don't know if that's kind of, if he was sort of hinting there that they did make a bid. Perhaps they even matched TNT's bid. Perhaps they matched Sky's bid for one of the packages, for example. But the Premier League being in the position that it is, having that relationship it does with Sky, it knows what it's getting from Sky. It's been a partner with them for 30 years. It knows the production quality it's getting. It's got that reliability. Similarly, TNT or BT Sport previously has been broadcasting the league for a long time now. It knows what it's getting from those two partners. And the Premier League might have even looked at what what's happened with the zone in other markets like Italy, where it's had issues with its streaming. And so, you know what, if you, you can match the bid financially, fine. But we know that these other two partners are a lot more reliable than you are. So you're actually going to have to offer us more from a financial perspective if you want these rights, because otherwise it isn't worth the gamble, it isn't worth the risk. So I don't know. I'm purely speculating here, but that, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of a conversation that happened behind closed doors. Because yeah, I think if DAZN really was to oust one of those two partners, it would have to be a, it would have to be financially rather than any sort of, you know, additional value that it can provide. We're going to hear that shy to go obsession in the second part of this podcast. But um, one of the things for me with DAZN and it kind of the extension of Sam's point is that why would the Premier League accept a matching bid from a new broadcaster? when it can get the same money from existing broadcasters and actually that'd be better for its fans. Mm. It will look at that and go, well, we could have a third broadcaster who's not going to pay us any more, or we can appease our fans and simplify the, the market offering for them by taking the same amount of money and ending up with the same result for us. It's no better for them to be like, oh, we want a third broadcaster for the sake of having one. Unless that third broadcaster is going to come in and offer you something markedly different and like a much bigger fee, then what's the point? What about demographics? I mean, we're in a pay TV market of 14 million people. But I think you'd probably find that like, it would be those same 14 million people divided up in a different way. Amazon Prime is a bit different because it's not strictly a, um, a pay TV product. It's a different kind of service. And this is something that it says all the time. I don't buy this completely because it's, I don't think this is true. But it says it's more like a free-to-air product than a pay TV product because of the other things that you get with it. And those being completely different to streaming, those are getting packages faster and like other consumer items for design i think the reason they didn't go for that we're going to offer you loads of money to take this package this time around is because i think they're in a period where they're trying to prioritize getting their business in order like they had a very tough pandemic 
and maybe and i feel like we've said this now for the last few cycles of design but it's just coming a little bit too soon for them to enter the uk market like they're in relatively strong positions across the rest of europe right they're the main broadcaster in italy that's locked in for another few years despite the fact that they had some trouble streaming there they've made an entrance into the french market and remains to be seen what happens with that right sales process but they're involved similarly in germany they've got a package of games there and similarly in spain like the uk really is the only one that they're not in and there's it's also going to be the one that they're going to have to pay the most to be in so if they're trying to prioritize the balance sheet maybe it makes sense to set out another four years and come back again when they know that there's more games on offer and they might be in a better position to do so um, last thing I wanted to ask you on this before we hear from Shai is having watched the Amazon games yesterday and seeing them making quite a big deal of new broadcast innovations they're rolling out. It definitely felt quite a forward thinking broadcast watching it. It doesn't feel like that's the end of Amazon's foray into live football rights and certainly wouldn't be making those announcements, I don't think, if that was the case. Do you think there is almost a consolidation from these stream partners to look at potentially other rights in the European portfolio or even across Europe, such as the Champions League? Amazon already has is already going to be a Champions League broadcaster from next year. It managed to kind of muscle its way into that picture, which is uh, similar to a strategy it's been doing across Europe, actually. It's the same in Italy and same in Germany. It has Champions League rights there. And it's the first pick games as well. So it's the best game on I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but they've got the game that people want to be watching, which will usually be the English team. So they're definitely going to still be around, which is, for me, great. I think I think they've done a really good job with their Premier League broadcast, and they've actually shown Sky and BT a slightly different way of broadcasting. They basically reignited the popularity of Ali McCoy, which I'm forever grateful for, my favourite commentator. George is grimacing. I don't know why. Yeah, we'll have to agree to disagree. They, they, yeah, they've introduced innovations. They brought in different like layers of data and analysis onto their broadcast in, in the UK, which is something that BT did latterly, and we've not seen so much from TNT. I think they've stripped that back a little bit. But uh, you're right. I don't think this is the last we'll have heard from from Amazon in this regard. They might like uh, looking at what they're doing with with the Champions League. They might well be priming up to do something a little bit like they've done with the NFL in the US, where for a while they were a partner, they were a junior partner, they were the streaming provider while they were still a TV broadcaster. I, I mean, I, it wouldn't be a massive surprise for me if they were to be like, okay, next Champions League right cycle, hi UEFA, we're going to take all of the Champions League games in the UK, France, Spain, Germany and Italy. Here's loads of money. Then they own that one product in the way that BT has here, but they could do that in a pan-European way and completely kind of dominate that space. It would kind of be, in a way, be what, like the similar broadcasters package or a similar kind of approach in thinking to how, what the Super League clubs wanted to have a kind of one company basically controlling all of this thing in the major markets and that being the place where all the major teams played. That wouldn't stun me in the slightest. Is it allowed? Monopoly rules, that kind of thing? I don't think that, I don't think they would be across Europe. The UK is not in the EU anymore. There's, there's no reason why it couldn't do that. It already has key rights in multiple different markets like that i don't think there'd be any reason why it couldn't in the same way that M mls is broadcast globally by napple right like yeah. it's, it's that kind of deal but for one competition 
in Europe. Because to me, that's, that screams a proposition for Apple, given that Eddie Q's already said that they're not looking to have fragmented rights, which is why I was never particularly expecting of Apple entering the Premier League, certainly not this time around. But that does seem a pretty attractive proposition for someone like Apple who are able to take global Champions League rights, for instance, and as Eddie, Eddie Q said, build a, a global proposition for it. Again, both big tech companies with the kind of pockets that can do that kind of thing. That to me looks more more realistic than Apple slowly becoming creeping into that pay TV uh, domestic broadcast kind of uh, picture. Although they've done it in some places, that's I feel like it's they're still in the in the opportunistic phase of their development in Europe, whereas in America it's a bit more fully flushed out their strategy. Going back to this particular deal and Amazon dropping out, I guess I think it just sort of fits with their broader strategy that they've spoken about from the beginning and that they're going to be pretty opportunistic in the rights they acquire. So this package that they've got at the moment that Georgie said you, that we've been watching this week, obviously it was like tailor-made for them back when it was launched. Obviously two midweek rounds of games in the lead up around Christmas time, obviously to drive prime subs. And I think reporting is that they pay 30 million a year for those rights. And this time round, obviously less packages, more games in the packages, it would have required much more of a commitment from them. At the moment, what they do is they kind of get on-air talent. It feels almost like an ad hoc basis, to be honest. It's announced really close to the weeks of the games, whereas it would have had to be a lot more they would have had to do around the games. So they would have had to invest more in the rights. They would have had to invest more in their, in their production as well. So maybe that's like one misstep that you could say the Premier League has, has taken in this and that they kind of drove Amazon out of the picture a little bit with the way that they structured those packages. Perhaps they sort of, they might have hoped that Amazon would have been willing to increase its investment. But going back to that point about them being opportunistic, I think they perhaps would have looked at it and been like, this isn't worth the investment for us. We've got Champions League coverage started from next season. We're still a major player in a number of the other European markets with the top football leagues there. So yeah, I don't think it's that big a surprise that they've dropped out, but I also don't think it means that they're done with sports either i think it's just a case-by-case basis with them and yeah they're very strategic and how in terms of how they acquire rights yeah i think they'd have had that had 18 extra games which um considering that they were paying like i mean i think i think it's less than a million per game to broadcast at the moment and the going rate that sky were paying is nearly six it's a big jump so that that was packagey and they opted not to go for it which as we've touched on it seems like they've got their value out of it and they can move on and become a yeah a different kind of broadcaster in the UK. Well, speaking of their streaming players, should we hear from Shai Segev, CEO of The Zone, around their plans for the future? So just to set up this conversation before we get into it, incidentally, much like this event, The Zone is barely seven years old, I believe. And dare I say, much like this event, has already had a significant impact on the sports media industry. I think everyone in this room uh, and millions more outside of it will be well aware of DAZN, but perhaps not so familiar with yourself, being new to this uh, particular industry. Uh, DAZN is the, let's uh, say, the poster child of sports streaming, uh, now available in over 200 territories. Everywhere. Uh, yeah, pretty much everywhere. Is a global player with an expansive rights portfolio, and I think, as we're about to hear from Shai, even bigger ambitions. You're the man at the helm of the business. You were previously CEO of Entain, and you have extensive experience in betting and tech. You joined DAZN 2021, and you were appointed sole CEO in early 2022. So you're now responsible for the global strategy and driving growth across the business. So great to have you with us. I know many people in this room are dying to hear from you. So let's begin by talking about the business you 
oversee. Obviously, DAZN began life several years ago as a disruptive kind of startup and entrant into this business, but it's quickly become an established player with a global footprint and a major rights buyer in many markets around the world. So how is your business strategy kind of evolving to reflect that? This isn't a new thing anymore. You're several years into this. Uh, do you still see yourselves as a disruptive startup? The disruption is still ongoing, right? I mean, if you think about where we are on this uh, sport journey, I think it's uh, quite obvious to think that we, as a consumers, we are missing a global sport brand and a unified experience, right? If you think about other industries, right? So let's, let's make something uh, simpler that everybody can rely. Let's say music, right? If I'm now traveling for any part of the world and I want to listen to my favorite music, I've opened Spotify, right? And Spotify will become my destination for music. If I travel with my family and I have young children, and as you all know, with young children, you want to keep them busy so we can open Netflix, right? So uh, Netflix become our destination for general entertainment. And unfortunately, sport doesn't work like this yet, right? It's very fragmented. The rights are sold in a fragmented way. There's no global destination. There's no global brand. And I, as a sport fan, use many, many apps. And sometimes this app is not even available in some markets. I mean, many people here in Madrid, you probably traveled from around the world. How did you watch the Champions League game here? So it's quite complex, hopefully not piracy. So this is exactly what we do in the zone. We are fixing this friction. This is the vision. This friction starts from the most basic experience, which is connecting with the live game. This is what we've been very focusing for the last seven years. We started with uh, live streaming. It's a journey. Uh, it has few areas that require a, a few challenging areas, which is one, collecting the rights. Second is to fix also the business model as well, because the business model is also broken. So it's not only just fixing the fragmentation of the fact that these rights are, are sold in a broken way, but also the business model is challenging as well. And the way that these rights has been sold or acquired in the past has been very much bundled with other stuff. I mean, mostly cable TVs and uh, has been buying this and, 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 and it seems cheap, but it's never been cheap because it's, again, if you live in Spain and you want to watch all sports, you think it's like 25 or 30 euros to add on your Telefonica bill, but it's actually, you couldn't find it less than 100, 120 euros because you have to buy all the other stuff as well. So it's not really cheap and it's bundled. So again, so we have the complexity of fragmentation, we have the complexity of uh, the business model itself, how do we make it right and make it uh, you know, sustainable and profitable business. And then you had even other experiences, which again, if you think about where, let's relate back to the Spotify experience as an example. I mean, when I listen to music, I have like a lot of technology-driven experiences that become very trivial today, right? When I buy an Amazon, they say, if you buy that, you're likely to buy that, and I have some recommendation. And same on Spotify, right? They know my, my music taste, and they offer me to listen to other playlists, and it's available everywhere, etc. So the technology has moved from linear, passive experience to more dynamic, interactive experience as well. And we know it's very important, especially when we're looking also in the younger audiences, 
I mean, my children, I mean, my children doesn't even understand a linear channel, right? So uh, for them, even Netflix seem a bit old. So they're more about short formats, uh, social, authentic. So we are trying also to implement this type of experiences as well to bring the zone to become not only live streaming platform, which I mentioned the challenges around that, but also to make it much more exciting to make sure that sport can grow, we can reinvent the business model, and we can make sure it's sustainable also for the younger generation. So bringing things like social, casual, interactive experiences, so a lot of other experiences which are important bringing into a single destination. Yeah, you talk about um, creating a unified experience, removing friction, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, you've been in the process of creating this kind of all-in-one sports digital destination, factoring in not just live streaming and on-demand, but you know, pay-per-view, e-commerce through retail, merchandise, betting, which is obviously a big part of your background, ticketing, NFTs, et cetera, et cetera. How's that process going and what's the ultimate objective there? The ultimate objective is to become uh, the global destination platform for sport fans, right? Our vision is that in five years from now, ten years from now, every sport fan around the world will have the zone account, the zone installed on his mobile, on his smart device. This is our vision. Like many people have Twitter or Facebook or use Google or use any other digital global platform. We want the zone to become one of your utility must-have. If you're a sport fan, you must have the zone. And as a side note, I will say that we are now about to launch our the zone free product, which will go live in January and will be gradually roll out globally. So we want to ensure that, again, someone like my son who is 12, he will never have a, he doesn't have yet a debit or credit card to pay 20, 25 euros per month to watch uh, sport, but we want him to enjoy sport. So we'll be able to download the zone, to put a free account, watch uh, delay content, and, and interact with other social experiences as well. Now, where we are on this journey, we, are, we have a, a different progress on different experiences, right? I mean, clearly we have now been doing seven years uh, live streaming, so uh, subscription and pay-per-view is a quite strong area for us because we've been doing it for several years. I... Uh, and I believe that we are definitely the largest sport broadcaster in Europe. We're already the largest. And I want to believe that uh, we're probably also the largest globally as well as a live streaming sport platform. I don't think there's anybody doing more than live streams than us. We had more than 60,000 uh, live events last year. And this number is, is growing uh, as we partner with more and more leagues. So streaming is clearly our strength. In the last two years, we launched a number of other services, and these services are just got started, so I wouldn't say they are as mature as streaming, but one of the things we've been doing with The Zone in the last uh, two years, and if anything, this will only accelerate, is we're putting a very strong focus on technology and product. We started our new hub in India, in Hyderabad, which we hope to grow to uh, 1,000 IT people. And, you know, myself, you, you mentioned my background. I'm, I see myself as a product technology experience guy. So for me, it all starts from the product is when the consumer download the app, what does he see? This is where I, I love to spend most of my time to make sure that the consumers, we, we understand what consumers see and we understand what problem we're fixing for the consumers and how we're improving things. So the other experiences just got launch. Uh, we have still quite a long journey to go to the level that it needs to go. If I have to guess, I would say in the next two to five years, 
this vision will come to place. Clearly, it will not be like zero to one, right? It will not be like everything or nothing. So it will be gradually built up. I think in the next two years, I believe that uh, many of us will start seeing the zone as more and more destination uh, for sport with our freemium launch that is happening. We just launched two weeks ago our uh, the zone shop, went live in Spain and in Germany. So you will be able to watch an NFL game and buy merchandising of the team. Early next year, we're about to launch our ticketing platform, so you'll be able to watch a game and say, why don't you watch, uh, we have ability now on a sale to buy for 50 euros a Real Madrid game, which is going next week. We launched the Zone Bet, show betting uh, proposition uh, early this year. Uh, we just lost in Germany in September. We launched in uh, uh, Italy early this year and Spain late last year. So uh, the Zone Bet, again, it's on its early days. I think there is, uh, you know, for someone who built for 20 years, uh, online betting companies. Uh, I think that uh, the zone is a tremendous opportunity uh, to become a, a significant player uh, in this industry as well. Uh, we clearly see the zone not as a betting company. We see it as a sport destination and betting can be just one of the experiences uh, that are out there. Um, and we're working on many other exciting journeys. And the whole idea is to create, again, as I mentioned, a destination platform for sport fans that you wake up in the morning, you want to know what your team has been doing yesterday or you missed a game, you open the app, you can read article, news, statistics, you can even social with your friends. Uh, at some point, uh, we want to add some uh, uh, gamified experience as well. Yeah, how is um, DAZN-BET performing exactly today? Because... Um, you know, you mentioned it is early days, but given your background, is it where you'd like it to be? And, and kind of what's the, what are your personal plans for, for that business? Um, so the Zombet is, is really, a, it's a baby. <laughs> and uh, it still cries. <laughs> it doesn't talk, doesn't walk. Yeah. yeah, but it's growing. <laughs> it's growing. So uh, it's actually it's a big uh, it's it's actually it's a it's a correct correlation, right? Um, so it's it's a new business. We really started it uh, early this year. We have a headquarter of the Zombet uh, based in Gibraltar, which is not far from here. Uh, we have 150 people working for this business. We have four licenses uh, already in Italy, Spain, Germany, and UK. We have a platform. We launched the platform, so you can go now to the Zombet.es as an example and see the website or download the app. I think that we're not going to rush it. So our objective on the Zombat is not necessarily to try to build the biggest betting company in the world the fastest we can, but to try to build a good complementary business for the zone. I mean, we have a great business in the zone, which is around, you know, funds and experience. As I said, I want to make sure that the betting vertical will become complementary experience rather just another betting website. We, we don't want to be Bet365, we don't want to be Ladbrokes, we don't want to be Sportium, we don't want to be uh, all of the other betting sites that when you go there, you go to bet. Uh, for us, when you go to the zone, you go because you enjoy sport and, and betting can be just one, another complementary experience. So we are still very busy to build the product. Uh, from my perspective, the product is not ready or the Zombat, right? I mean, when I say in the product, I mean the experiences. Uh, you can go today to the Zombat and you will find a website that you can register. It needs to be complied with the local regulation. You can create an account, you can deposit, you can place a bet on uh, uh, Real Madrid to win uh, Napoli. 
uh, if you decide to. Uh, so we have all of these basic functions, but this is not what makes it exciting. What will make it exciting is the integrated experience with the zone. And I think this will be built gradually as well. Uh, hopefully next year we start deploying some of these experiences. And while you'll be able to watch an event, there will be some experiences you can integrate. And the idea really is to end up with, again, my hope is that someone will be able to watch a game and he put uh, five euro on his team to win. And you're not only watching the game, you are now participating in the game. It's make the experience much more exciting, much more live. Ideally, you can even uh, you know share it uh, with your friends, and we can look into further journeys to even in- to increase engagement. And it's great for us also in terms of monetization, of course, as well. Let's talk about a couple of the deals uh, that you've done uh, since um, taking over at DAZN. But the NFL Game Pass deal, a lot of interest in that. They signed a decade-long distribution deal early this year. How successful has that deal been to date? Obviously, again, it's early days, but um, how are you measuring the success of that deal? What was the thinking and the strategy behind that one? So the NFL was, for us, uh, almost like a game changer, right? It was, uh, as I mentioned before, when we started this interview, I mentioned the challenge of the industry, right? One is, uh, and I mentioned two challenges on the core streaming uh, or the core broadcasting. One is you want to have a global reach, I mean, you want to create an internet product, right? You don't want the internet doesn't have borders. And second, you want to change the business model because the business model is very challenging as it is today where you have to uh, guarantee very high fees to the leagues regardless of their performance. And this for us has been transformational partnerships because this is the first time we managed to do a deal with a big league like the NFL, probably the, the largest league in the world, We've been managed to tick the box on two or even three of these things, which is one, it's it's really a global deal. So the zone now is a global partner for NFL outside the US, still outside the US, but still it's something that we can do globally. So you can go everywhere across the world, everywhere you go outside the US, download the zone and you watch all of the NFL games. So for us, it's a big game changer because we can now sell a global product. And second, we managed to build this deal in a way that it's a partnership, uh, which is my hope that we will be able to establish the same understanding with every other leagues as well, which is it's not anymore you selling rights, we're buying rights, see you in five years. It is let's meet every week, every month, let's put teams together and let's think how we can build value here for the consumers, for us as a broadcaster or as a partner and for the NFL as well. And this deal doesn't have any limits Right, we're talking about the events, about the ticketing, about merchandising, about formats, about the shows, about the talent, about the interviews, about the pricing. So for us, as I said, it's a game changer. It's really where I hope that this will be able to replicate to other leagues as well. And it's give everybody the incentive not only to maximize the value of this league in the short term, which many of the leagues looking really how much we're getting in this cycle, but actually are we building value for the long term as well? Because the NFL for them, I mean, clearly they're doing very well in the US, but they want to make sure the game has become also popular outside the US. And I think we are the, the perfect partner for that. We are the only one who can give a global reach for a league, right? If you think about it, there's no other partner or vendor that can 
partner with the league and overnight give them a global reach. So we are very unique from uh, this perspective. We migrated the NFL Game Pass to the zone earlier this year in August. It came with around 2 million customers who moved from the old platform to us. And since then, clearly, like any immigration, we've been very focusing to work with consumers and make sure that the transition uh, went smooth. And, and where our focus now is mostly to see what next for this product and how we can even make it more exciting and grow the audiences uh, with the NFL. So for us, it was an important partnership. It is still an important partnership. And I hope this will set a milestone for uh, other leagues as well. Yeah, so are there more deals of that nature in the in the pipeline that we can expect to be announced soon? Uh, yes. So the short answer is yes. We're looking, I mean, I mean, the zone is already home of a few sports as well. We see ourselves as home of boxing. We are the global home of boxing, right? So this is pretty much how we build the business on the back of that. So we have a number of promoters, a number of big events that we broadcast globally. Boxing has been a big part of our business. I mean, roughly, probably have, uh, around one and a half to two million customers uh, watching boxing on our services. So it's a great business for us, uh, mostly currently UK, US. But we see, especially with the last uh, few events, uh, this sport has been growing also in, in other markets as well. Uh, we have mega events in the 23rd of December. So we expect a lot from that. We also started a new type of boxing with the influencers, boxing, a new series. We're doing it in partnerships with the KSI and Misfits, which has become very, very popular on younger audiences as well. We call it the Zone X series. So again, so we become the home of uh, boxing. We are the home of women leagues as well. I mean, I think Hannah was here earlier this week and she probably spoke with all of you about our investment in women's sport. The Zone is today is probably the biggest uh, library of women's sport. We partner with many of the European football. I mean, and probably this country is, is a good example. We have the exclusive global rights for La Liga Feminal for the next five years. So investing a lot of women's sports, so we have the women's Serie A, women French League, etc. So again, we have the women Champion League, of course, as well. So we have a very big library of global rights of women's sport. We see ourselves as the home of European football as well. We are the partner of La Liga, partner of Serie A, partner of Bundesliga, Dutch Wood. We soon will be uh, the partner of the French League as well. So we're pretty much the largest partner of every European League as well. We are home of NFL, as you mentioned, and there is a number of other leagues that wants to follow to follow this concept of partnering with a single strong uh, platform like the Zone and partner with us to help them not only to monetize this right, but also grow the sport as well. So this will only continue and we will move more and more to do this type of partnership and, and global deals. I can see some questions coming in on Slido, but before we get to those, I just want to ask you directly about what your ambitions are in the UK market. I don't expect you to, uh, to tell me exactly what the plans are for the Premier League rights, but do you ultimately need Premier League rights in the UK to be a serious player there? And what, what are your ambitions in, the, in that market? For the zone, I think to have the Premier League in the UK will be an important a milestone to have, but the timing is also important, right? Because we want to build, uh, I mentioned before, we want to build a sustainable business and the timing needs to be the right timing. Uh, without saying too much, we're just waiting for the right timing. And I believe that at some point the zone will become also the partner of the Premier League. 
also in the UK, to what extent to be seen, I don't know, but I think it's it's very important property and it's very important in the UK. And we want to be a global business, so you just make one plus one plus one, it has to be three. And so UK is a big market, Premier League is important in the UK, we want to be global, so we have to have Premier League. This is the conclusion of that. Now, the timing needs to work, right? Because it's a very competitive market and we want to, we do not want to do it at any cost because there is clearly more places for us to go and grow. I mean, France is a good example, right? It's a market where, uh, let's say, the stars has aligned. Uh, there is a good property there, the French League, with passionate audiences. And it's reached to a, a place where someone like the zone is very clearly required in that market to take this property and grow it. It's not the case with Premier League yet, but I, I, I believe that uh, this partnership will get at some point. At this point of time, we position ourselves as a bo- home of boxing in the UK. There's a few other important sports, including football, that we will hopefully be able to position ourselves as a sport platform in the UK as well. Sure. Well, let's take uh, one of these questions because I've seen it bouncing around. But just in terms of your future plans on the agency slash rights brokerage side of the business, e.g. your JV business with FIBA, what are your plans there? So maybe not many of you know, but uh, one of the subsidiary of The Zone is a partnership business. It's a, it's a business that uh, we own. It's part of our business. We have currently two important partnerships in that business. Is one is FIBA and second is WTA with the Women Tennis Association and, uh, and FIBA, the Basketball Association, of course, where The Zone partner with these two associations and we have the global media rights globally for every event. Not only that, we produce these events as well. In some markets, we keep it on the zone. And in some markets, we sub-license it like agencies, like basically many agencies has been doing right as a seller. Now, the zone for us, clearly our number one focus is our B2C business, right? We want to see the zone as a global home of sport. As I mentioned, it's nation platform, everything that I mentioned uh, 25 minutes ago. So this is our priority. But I think it's a very important vehicle for us to have this capability as well because it will enable us to do what we're hoping to do. So let's say we'll be able now to go to a league and we say, instead of buying 80 markets out of 200 markets, let's just basically partner globally and we become your global partner. So we basically take all the headache away from the league, let them focus running the sport, make sure that the sport is, is well produced, it's competitive, it's interesting, the format is, is correct, etc. And we'll be able to take this. And, and in some markets, we put it on our own platform. And in some markets, we can partner with others, which I think uh, for us, partnering is quite important in our strategy. I mean, we mentioned, for example, uh, I mentioned India before. I mean, it's not a market that we are strong yet. So I think in order to be able to maximize the property potential, we must partner with someone in some of the markets. And this vehicle exactly gives us this capability to go in markets and find the local champions, partner with them, meaning give them this content on exclusive or non-exclusive basis or any type of deals that we can uh, strike. So it's an important part of our strategy. We've been doing it with FIBA, with WTA, and I hope we can do it with more leagues as well. Let's jump to another question, if I may, um, just regarding audience figures. As of today, nobody knows the audience figures of DAZN. Uh, to compare with traditional broadcasts, are there plans to be measured in the upcoming months and years? I think the same question was asked of, uh, of Amazon uh, yesterday. Um, what's your answer to that one? 
So the question was uh, about our audiences. So I would say we have uh, more than 20 million subscribers who've been uh, watching The Zone for the last uh, 12 months, unique subscribers. This is the figure. This probably, if you look into how many people, we, this is on platform. And if you look in general, people engaging with our content uh, through other platforms as well. I mean, this number is more than 300 million uh, viewers watching our, our, our content. This number is going quite fast with the freemium launch. I believe uh, there is a 10x opportunity for us to reach to more people. And hopefully our internal target is in the next, call it five to 10 years, hopefully more like five, to hit uh, 1 billion people around the world who will use the, the zone. We've got one minute left, so I'm going to jump to one of my questions now because uh, uh, we had uh, Javier Tebas uh, on stage a couple of days ago talking about uh, Saudi Arabia's influence on on sport and how it's distorting the market in many different ways. Um, you yourselves, as DAZN, have taken or been involved in boxing events in the country. You've got the rights to the Saudi Pro League as well. You did that deal in certain markets, so clearly no issues doing business there. What's your view on the kind of Saudi Arabia's impact on the market and its investment in sport generally and the impact on the broadcast rights market specifically long term? I think that what the Saudis are doing is first, I think it's blessed in my view, right? They're investing in sport, which is great. I mean, we want to see more investment in order to ramp up the game. Go, I mean, this money is going for the clubs and of the day to the athletes. And I think it's a good thing for the sport. I think what I did in the, the Saudi league, what I do in boxing, even what they did in golf, I think it's it's quite good long term. Clearly the journey yet to be seen because it needs to be sustainable. But the fact that this country is putting so much focus to diversify themselves and they're focusing on sport as a general entertainment, I see it as a positive thing. It's a great, I mean, again, the boxing events that uh, we had a few weeks ago with the Fury and, uh, and Gano and the one that we have, I mean, probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, I think as a boxing fan, as I assume we all want to see these events and they be able to put their end deep to the pocket and make these events uh, happening. And I think as a boxing fan, I thank them. I mean, uh, we still want to see Fury fighting uh, Anthony Joshua. Probably uh, we wouldn't have seen it, but now I think with... Uh, Saudi's investment, we as a fund, we be able to do that. And I think it's go for for every league. So I'm grateful for them. <laughs> well, we are out of time. We're very much in the red. So thank you very much. Well, we are out of time. We're very much in the red. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us, Shai. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you to everyone for listening. All right. Uh, well, that was thoroughly fascinating second I've had time I've had that conversation but still piques the interest and there's still lots I think to dig into there before we go I should flag that a lot of this detail around the Premier League right still and our coverage of it and also our new media hub data where you're going to be able to find a lot of details on this new partnership are available on Sports Pro Plus our premium subscription offering which you can sign up to via the website now there are no current offers on at the moment but I'm sure if you talk to our specialist sales executive on this, Mr. Luke Noble, L Noble at sportspromedia.com. Something can be arranged. Drop him an email and we'd love to hear a little bit of feedback about what you guys have been thinking about our Sports Pro Plus and our new media hub generally. So, uh, yeah, please get in touch. Thanks, Tom. Sam, Tom, as always, a pleasure to sit down with you and talk about the biggest issues in sport. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Cheers, George.